this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union of Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen. Make it happen, Jay. Let's do it. We're going to make it happen. Uh, just by joining us at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Jay, I was, I was perusing over at iTunes. I noticed we had an uptick in reviews. Not, well, not reviews, in, in stars. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've, we were up to like 60. We're, uh, you and Katie, uh, logging in as different people. Diligently and... logging in, creating <laughs> fake iTunes accounts. But no, so, someone. Hey, Nina, can you create an <laughs> iTunes account? See those pretty stars? Click on the far right. Someone complimented us because we correctly identify the the web address as forward slash dig me out because it's so common to say backslash, I guess. Yeah, we're so not they heathens. Ga- they gave us five stars for <laughs> saying forward slash. So We're civilized human beings here. Right. We do try to use the proper nomenclature when it comes to uh, web speak. Speaking of Patreon, Jay, we've got some new patrons to thank right now. Let's do it. Ryan McIntyre, Alex Gibson, Jeffrey Becker, all joining us at the $2 level. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Thank you for organizing. And then also, Scott Witt jumping up, and Gavin. I was going to call him uh, Rossdale because he's such a star. (laughs) He's such a star. I'm sure he'll love that. No, uh, our good friend Gavin Reed down in Australia, he jumped up. He's now a part of our board of directors. Who helped us pick our roundtable for February, which people will probably know what that is by the time this episode comes out. And if you are a part of our Patreon crew, the union, the hardworking folks, you are responsible for the album we are going to be talking about on this episode. It's back from our December poll. It ended on the 16th of December. A whole bunch of votes were cast. We had an overwhelming winner on this one jay this no was doubt never close this is a runaway this was like uh uh clemson got up on alabama let's it was just it was right. over you know what i mean yeah i just sneezed and lost my voice so give me a second <laughs> all right well jay get jay i'm gonna go over what the votes were and who was in that poll just real quickly so people know uh, i'm back I'm oh back. you're back okay all the way at the bottom were the Crockett's with one vote. We may be skinny and wiry. Uh, two votes was Uncle Green, Book of Bad Thoughts. Three votes was The Honey Dog, Seen a Ghost. Four votes was Sinead Lowen, No Mermaid. At five votes was Jebediah, Slightly Odd Way. Tied with six votes was UMI, Hi-Fi Way, and Tommy Keen's Isolation Party, and then the overwhelming winner with 14 votes, the Jesus Lizard and Goat. Greatest of all time, Jay. That's what that stands for. <laughs> Tom Brady. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Sorry. Whoa. Sorry. So. Recommended by um, Johnny Hooper. Who commented 
strangely enough. Here's what he had to say. He said, well, since I nominated the Jesus Lizard, I guess we know where my vote went. For me, it's without a doubt one of the strongest records of the 90s and quite possibly the definitive noise rock record ever. David Yao is in that yeah. upper echelon of great frontmen, and Dennison, Sims, and McNeely are three of the best players I have ever encountered. Aside from Nick Cave, the absolute best band I've ever seen, best live band I've ever seen. Oh, wow. Wow. That yeah, was- I mean... Them some strong words there. Sets the bar high. It does. So when you uh, when you submit an album on digmeoutpodcast.com forward slash suggestion, <laughs> uh, you can tell people why we think we should or why we should review this and why our Dig Me Out listeners will like it. He said kind of the same thing, but took it even further, saying quite possibly the crowning achievement of '90s noise rock. So this is it. If we're going to talk about 90s noise rock, this is the record, apparently. Wow. There you go. So some other folks chimed in on this record as well. Frank Garcia Hell said, Jesus Lizard for sure, one of the best sounding albums Albini produced. That would be one Steve Albini. The moment this album starts, it grabs your attention in a big, bad way. Monkey Trick is such a kick-ass song. The only criticism is that it sometimes becomes redundant, but they pull off some interesting riffs and tricks to keep it interesting. Bummed I never saw them live. I bet it's a great show. Who knows? Maybe they'll do another reunion. Well, did you read uh, Scott's comment? Oh, I voted for Sinead Lohan because she must have heard from dozens of people, <laughs> of record people, about changing her name. <laughs> that's probably true that's a good one i met the other scott but uh scott halgram said i mean at this point it's obvious it's going to be the jesus lizard i mean fuck i guess you have to cover that at some point <laughs> so <laughs> good point i guess we're obligated at some point to do this record but if the angle isn't fabulous guitar car, guitarist plus charismatic vocalist creating garbage then i guess you're not for you're not me ha 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 well, hmm. we'll see about that. Huh. Hmm. Okay, then. See, a bunch of people went with UMI. Darren Leach said, UMI for me. One of my favorite albums of all time. Still holds up. Whitney Buehler, going with UMI. Never heard a, a single thing by them. We already reviewed them, Whitney. Go listen to our episode. What are the re- oh, Ian Wobble, UMI, hi- Hi-Fi Way. Gets my vote. One of the finest things the band ever released. I'm very interested in your reviews. Reviewers looking into this as a huge improvement with much much better songwriting than sound as ever. A high point in alternative rock in Australia. Keith Sawyer said, Wow, well, I thought Jesus Lizard for sure. Great memory seeing them live with Girls Against Boys at Irving Plaza. Pure energy and Goat is their finest set of songs, but don't overlook Tommy Keane's Isolation Party. And then Stephen Musinski said, Greatest of all time? Fun little nerd fact. Ken Andrews said the main reason they... Decided to work with Steve Albini on Comfort was because of two records, Goat by the Jesus Lizard and Pod by the Breeders. I absolutely adore mm. this record and hope it wins. Interesting about those two records, yeah. eh? <laughs> that is really odd. Ryan Bird said, I saw Jabadai open up for the Get Up Kids in October of 2000 without knowing anything about them. Their scrappy alt-rock sound definitely stood out on a night of completely emo. And then Patrick Testa. Wow, there are many interesting options here. I scanned the whole lot of these records, and I would be cool with UMI, the Crockett's, or Uncle Green. 
I wouldn't throw my vote at Sinead Lohan, Tommy Keen, or the Honey Dogs. While they seem fine and dandy, they're just a bit bland for my taste. I like what I was hearing from Jebediah, but I have to admit I grew tired of them after five songs or so, and there were probably another couple dozen to go. So that brings me to the Jesus Lizard, which should win my vote for the sheer power and nuts of that band. Continuously showed up all through the first half of the 90s, but last I'm going to give it to an underdog, Uncle Green. So there you go. You went with the underdog. In this case, the underdog lost. <laughs> Uncle Green beat the Crockett's. Oh, it did beat the Crockett's. That's nice. That's cute. All right. Just a just a brief. Uh, I know the Jesus Lizard in the you know independent alternative, you know rock community. They are known, but just for the people who may not know, they're originally from Austin, Texas. Originally, it was oh. formed in uh, 1987. It was just a recording-only project by da- ba- uh, founding vocalist David Yao, bassist David William Sims, and guitarist Dwayne Dennison. Then they re- relocated to Chicago, Illinois in 1989, and they hooked up with Steve Albini, added drummer Mac McNeely, and began performing live. Uh, drummer Jim Kimball replaced McNeely in 1996, and then in 1998, uh, Kimball was replaced by Brendan Murphy. So they've been through three drummers, but the guitar bass and vocals have all been the same they have released uh four records the first four records on touch and go uh, 1990 was head 1991 was goat 1992 was liar 1994 was down and then they signed to capital records and in 1996 they released shot in 1998 they released blue and then there were also several eps pure in 1989 Lash in 1993, and then self-titled in 1998. And then there's a couple compilations. Bang was released in 2000, and Inch was released in 2009. And they have two live albums, Show in 1994 and Club in 2011. If you're not, if you're seeing a trend here, <laughs> every single mm. title of everything is one word, except yeah. for um, the self-titled, which is the Jesus Lizard. So. That's so 90s. But they stuck to it, Jay. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's cool. Because so, like some bands like, you know, like Sufjan Stevens was going to do a, an album project where he recorded an album about every state. And he got like three albums into it and was like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, forget it. Yeah. That's going to take <laughs> too long. A lot, a lot of work. Right, exactly. I don't have that much to say about Utah. <laughs> what can you say? A bunch of songs about Orrin Hatch and Mormons. That's about it. There's not. There's not much to. There's not much to do. Idaho. That's a thing. <laughs> that's a real place. So let's talk about this record, Jay. Goat, the 1991 album by the Jesus Lizard. Were you familiar with them? This is a band I've heard the name and a lot of people talk about, and I know they're revered and respected. Maybe I heard a snippet here and there, but other than that, no, I had not spent any time listening to this band, never saw them live, uh, didn't know a whole lot. I mean, I generally knew and expected what they would sound like, probably here for just knowing they're from Chicago. There was a noise rock thing. Probably heard a little bit pieces here and there, but right. other than that, no. I have a little bit more exposure back in my um, torrenting LimeWire days. 
I think I downloaded their entire catalog. Oh, I miss LimeWire. And I ran the catalog, like, you know, checking it out. Yep. And it's because I have the MP3s, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something I've ever gone back to until this record. Right. But I know I at least gave all the records like one cursory listen when I downloaded them. Because you kept hearing about the band and you're like, right. I, I think I have to listen to this band. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like I downloaded like, you know, I, I, I was only familiar with like 80s Genesis and a little oh, bit of oh. 70s. So I downloaded like all the weird 70s albums with Peter Gabriel I had never listened to <laughs> back off of LimeWire. And I was like, what is this? Is this when you got all the Deep Purple stuff? Yeah, this is when I got like every Deep Purple record. Exactly. Oh, okay. Of which there are really like two yeah. good deep, deep purple records. Yeah. Let's not get too deep into the deep purple. Right, Let's get into right. the Jesus Lizard. Let's not get distracted. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Goat by the Jesus Lizard. I love the guitars. Uh, the guitar player is really creative. Uh, you don't really know as you go through the record what to expect. And there's a. Um, I guess I was surprised to see it described as noise because to me, it seems very precise. It seems mm-hmm. very considered. It seems very, they like methodical almost. Um, so there's nothing to me noisy about it at all. Um, musically, I really enjoy that. There's a lot of great tones. It sounds amazing. Uh, it sounds amazing loud. And just in general, there's a really good, I guess formula and chemistry between the bass and the guitar in that it's never overly, overly complicated, but it's always um, interesting and at its best unexpected um, and, and dynamic. So, and there's some just great guitar parts, just very tasteful, well-considered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can tell like he knows how to play. You know what I mean? You know, with some bands that are maybe a little bit more experimental or alternative, you know, they're just going for raw feel. So you don't hear the technique as much. And with him, like you get the feel and but you also can hear some of the technique things going on where you get the sense that this is somebody who studied guitar and knows how to play whatever they want. And this is what they're choosing to play, which is a whole other thing than I'm playing this because this is all I know how to do. You know what I mean? So, uh, like, there's some pull-offs here and there. There's some slide things. There's some use of tremolo that's really subtle and cool. So, um, surprised in that coming in, I guess, the yeah, on the surface, it generally matched what I was expecting. But as I dug in deeper and really listened, I guess I was just surprised at how well crafted it was, um, musically at least. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah, I completely agree with the word precision in the sense that all of these songs are so tight and like the way that the instruments 
are playing off of each other and the way that they give each other space in such a yeah. anti-noise way, which is yeah. so weird that now that I'm actually like sitting down and like really digging into this, like other than David Yao yelling, I don't yeah. see how this is noise. It's it's aggressive. It's, mm-hmm. It can be dark, and mm-hmm. it can be, um, you know, it's definitely post-hardcore. But when I think of noise, like I I expect way more abrasiveness from guitars yeah. and and just like feedback and this is so well constructed and not in a you know overly thought out where it's like a progressive rock band you know yeah. putting together an opus it's just his you know the guitar playing is really interesting from song to song with that opening song there's all these cool runs that he does and pull-offs and Yep. little licks here here and there and then like on uh i think it's track four um oh nub nub is the one that has the um the slide yeah just it just it's like evil blues i mean yeah. it's just it's such a cool sound the way they layer that on top of you know these post-hardcore sounds That to me, I, totally, I, I kept digging totally into the guitar. Yeah, the, I, the guitar is the thing that like kept locking me into like really paying attention because of how much he was doing. Um, and again, that's Dwayne Dennison. Is just all the inventive licks and the way that he gets so much mileage out of not. I mean, he's not. I don't hear like a, he's not effect heavy. You know. No. You know, I was wondering about that. I couldn't pick up like a signature tone meaning i mean the tone's great i couldn't understand though and correlate it back to a, an existing like oh that's a marshall les paul or that's a strat and a yeah it didn't rat. sound thick enough for like a les paul but i could yeah, be wrong it, could just be the way it kind of had that albini i don't know he has like a particular guitar tone that a lot of his records have it definitely felt into that like it had a bit of a metallic kind of tinge to yes. it but it was still full yeah i don't i don't know what guitar wise or amp usually we can kind of get close but i have no idea what's going, maybe a sg or something i don't know perhaps but it's it's definitely a thinner body yeah of a guitar sound than than i would assume that a heavier band would use um yeah. but yeah I, the guitar playing and the way that it interacted with the whole band was just it just kept me locked in and also gotta love the fact that this is a a not, the original version is a nine-song, thirty-minute record. Yeah. Now there's a 2009 re-release that adds like two additional tracks plus a couple. I think yeah, th- some live tracks. Live version, yeah. That's what's on Apple Music. Yeah, but if you're just going by the original nine-track version, I mean, this is very tight. Mm-hmm. You you listen to it and you go, oh, okay, I want to start that over again. Mm-hmm. And and hear those 
performances again. What did you think of David Yao's vocals? Are we on the parts we didn't like? Well, no, not necessarily. <laughs> I'm just asking what Wait, you... Th- well, I think I have to skip to that this part of the show. Okay, um, go ahead. Uh, I don't get it. I don't... In fact, I think it's completely irrelevant on the record. Like, I don't... I wouldn't miss... I, I would actually like this record more if there's just no vocals. Like, I think there's enough going on musically. I don't hear anything that the vocals add, ever. Like, even there's not even like lyrics that cut through where you're like, oh, that's really clever and like add something to the music. I just hear like somebody in the background grumbling and mumbling and occasionally yelling like it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't it doesn't elevate the music in any way. It only detracts. So that's that's my complaint with the record. I I don't don't at all. Well, that's interesting. I mean, he's mixed pretty low. Yes. So he almost Very becomes low. a background <laughs> vocal. Yes. It's like the lead vocal is actually a background vocal on the record because he's mixed <laughs> so low on the record. It's like you're at like a, a club with a great sound system watching an awesome band, and there's a drunk dude behind you like rummaging around. <laughs> you're like, hey, drunk dude, can you get out of here? I'm trying to hear the band. Now, I will say, like, I don't I, – I thought I was going to dislike his vocal. I don't dislike his vocal. I I do agree with you that I didn't come away with a really strong sense of oh this this is a really good chorus in this song or what have you. I think the only one that really stuck with me is Mouth Breather. Yeah. Uh, because they do a great job of when they actually get to the chorus, it just breaks down to like drums. I think there might mm-hmm. be some bass there too, but it's it, the guitar goes away and it gets real quiet when he delivers the chorus. And when I say yeah. deliver the chorus, I basically just mean like repeat. A phrase over and over again we kind of run into this occasionally where there's a chorus that is built around like a melody and then there's choruses that are built around repetition that aren't really melodic but you just yeah. say them over and over again and they become the chorus david yeah is not really a melo- a, me- mm-hmm. <laughs> a melody driven singer no i think he you know when i think of like people like not omar who's the lead singer of at the drive-in uh cedric cedric yeah you know, that sort of histrionic vocal. At times, yeah. Tim Kasher would do that. And actually, the songs like, I think it was Monkey Trick, reminded me a lot of Cursive. Yep. I can see how Cursive would hear that song and be like, we're going to start a band based on that song. Because yep. <laughs> that's such their sound. I kind of looked back and I went, oh, okay, I see where all these bands were kind of, you know, this is probably one of their influences in terms of you can kind of yeah. let loose and the vocal is an instrument as opposed to the vocal is, you know, this very thought-provoking, deep thing. It's just, you know, it's supposed to be on par with the guitars and the vocal and or the guitar and the drum and the bass. So I kind of let it just wash over me and I wasn't too hypercritical of it, but I agree with you that I could also, I think we've said the same thing when we reviewed the helmet record way back in season one, because Paige Hamilton had not sort of found his vocal yet. And he was doing a lot of screaming. I think we both said, well, we could have used a lot 
more of this as an instrumental record than yep. a, a vocal driven record. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, there's some records we've reviewed where it, the, the vocal is, um, like cringeworthy and like difficult to get through. This is just unnecessary. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it doesn't add, like I said, it just doesn't add anything for me to the song. Um, yeah, mouth breather. There's, you know, they kind of cut and give space for the line to be delivered, and it's a, you know, fun little line. But that's about it. I, I just don't. Um, I would be perfectly. I would like this record as much without any vocal track on it whatsoever. It reminded me like a song like Seasick, where he's like just yelling, "I can't swim." <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. and he does he does the repeat thing. Like he'll go he'll say a phrase three times but three different ways. Right. I can't swim. I can't swim. I can't swim. You're just like are we going to do this whole record? It reminded me of Marky Smith a little bit from The Fall. Yeah. yeah. In that sense where yeah. again, I think that's a very acquired taste where you either dig this guy who's just sort of spouting rather than singing and you dig that and occasionally a, i do but you're into spouting <laughs> yeah i don't know how else to put it yeah well uh i mean you sort of get on the the, the this band is obviously very influential and i did hear oh, that yeah. and um i think they're influential this is part of maybe why i reacted to the vocals um, negatively they're influential on a lot of really great bands you know at the drive-in cursive two you mentioned i'm totally on board with that probably dozens and dozens of other bands that we love that were influenced by this band i think they also probably influenced a lot of bands that we played with and couldn't stand for three seconds like i, I felt like parts of this record when it didn't work I was just taken back to like, oh my God, I think we played with a band like this, you know, every night that we ever gigged, whatever, well, however what many hundreds people, of shows we did. <laughs> because... I think what people pick up on is the aggression, Yeah, but they turn it into this like aggro thing. Yes. And it becomes a macho pose with, you know, these shouted vocals over top as opposed to, I don't think that's what David Yao is going for. I yeah, think. no, I, I could just, I, the, but it's one of those bands where you could hear people with no talent or nothing to say hearing and going like, oh, I can make a band like that. And then there were thousands of bands like this in the 90s. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the, and we played with maybe half of them. <laughs> it just took me back to like, you know, long nights and bad bars listening to the terrible music. Yep. I, I totally know which bands you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like I, like I said, I think you can listen to this and go, oh, well, I can shout and I can get yep. somebody who has, you know, uh, a similar, you know, tune to drop D and get some mm -hmm. heavy riffs out of it. And then there you go. And I'm sure Helmet sort of produced the same oh, yeah. you know, response that, that a lot of the post-hardcore bands did. But there's a the thing about that is, is that this band is so honed on their guitar tones the bass sounds amazing the drumming is great you got steve yep. albini putting this all together i mean it sounds amazing and all those bands that were doing a poor facsimile were playing through solid state pv amps <laughs> not actually practicing i mean you can tell that 
this just sounds to me like they work this shit out. Yes. You know, when you listen to Then Comes Dudley, that just sounds like something that they just spent out, you know, days and weeks in the practice space working through all of that, how they were going to play every part and who was going to come in when and just getting everything right. So, yeah, I mean, this is this totally different than the bands we're talking about that right. kind of took this inspiration but didn't put the work in to actually making it, you know, come together and be sharp. I think there's a misconception that people think when bands are slower and they play like mid-tempo to slow tempos that they that the songs aren't like as complex or as difficult to construct. But oftentimes those are the hardest ones because you're trying to fill space by playing slow when you're playing slower, but you have to fight against overplaying and being too busy. So then you got to find this like really good balance between am I playing the right notes where I need to be playing them and also complimenting my bandmates, but also, you know, is this too busy or is it getting too empty? And it's a, yeah. you know, when you're playing faster, the the rhythm sort of fills in some of that for you. Yeah. 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 They're playing in tempos that are very difficult for a band with one guitar player to manage. Yep. You know, it's yeah. hard to make that sound big and keep it interesting and, not fall into the typical like soft loud bullshit and you know just stereotypes um so yeah i mean it's uh it's really well done and you know it, it it's effective in that tempo too cuz then you get this really really cool just kind of dark driving consistent feel to it that um never seems I mean, there's some songs on here where they pick up the rhythm, and I think it's a little less successful to me. But uh, like South Mouth is an example. Um, but yeah, I love that just real driving kind of persistent rhythm, but uh, just letting the guitar kind of explore and, and be creative and just that contrast between how the bass and the guitar play. Great bass tone on this record, too. I don't know if you mentioned that, but... Mm-hmm really cool gritty uh grinding kind of sound um i think that helps quite a bit in terms of the overall fullness of it i think you got to get if you're going to have a three-piece playing in this this kind of tempo um i think you need a bass tone that covers some of the guitar uh sonic space so you know he's got the low end covered but he's also got some grit um in the bass tone, which makes it sound full. Like you get a full spectrum of um, the bass covering a lot of ground and then the guitar coming in and really being able to be chimey and um, dynamic. So Jay, there was one single released. It was mouth breather. Okay. It didn't really, it made some like best of lists, but that was it. Not surprising, right? This isn't a radio band for 1991. No, this is even before, um, Nevermind comes out. Right. So yeah, this is pretty mind-blowing for 91. Right. So that's not shocking that this was no. not all over radio. So let's talk about overall ratings on this record. Were the album better EP or decent single? Hmm. Man, it's so short. I really like Then Comes Dudley, Mouth Breather, Nub, Monkey Trick, and Rodeo, and Juliet. I think that is a rock salad uh what to five songs the uh, the other 
tunes are in and out. The vocal becomes more of a problem. They go into some areas musically that are a little less interesting in that they're more simpler riffs, alternating kind of two chord things, less dynamics. I'm going to say EP. Uh, I know I'm going to be in the minority here, but I just feel like that stuff is just so solid. I would just love to hear more like that. I think the stuff that doesn't work is just, uh, it's close, but I'm going to go with an EP. Well, I'm going to disagree slightly. I think it's a worthy album. Um, Again, it's only nine songs in 30 minutes. In some cases, that could be an EP. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Um, But I, I like all the music across here. I, there isn't a song where I'm like this. This is boring to me, or what have you. The only thing that I that doesn't stay with me is his vocal, um, just because I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's presented as if it's the most important thing in the band. The way it's mixed, it's like it's it's mixed so deep that there's parts of the songs where I'm like I'm losing it completely. So, but yeah, I think it's a worthy record, and I want to go back and check out some of the other records too. I know that this one is regarded as the i mean this is the one the one so i'd be curious to hear like did they get were they noisier on the first record and that's why they were called noise rock because i still not getting that yeah that term i get maybe in 91 i could see it but i don't know in hindsight this isn't very noisy at all no because then if that's noise rock then the bands that we talked about that were influenced by them or, or sound like they were influenced by them would be considered noise rock because they were doing essentially the same thing yeah so I don't know. I mean, shellac to me, shellac's a lot noisier than this. Yeah. Oh yeah. And a much more abrasive. Yeah. So we got to thank our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash dig me out for voting for this record. They just voted for our February album and we'll be talking about that one soon. Might have a tie into the one we just reviewed. And we'll talk about it then. You can join us at Patreon to support the podcast, join our union, and uh, just the $2 level, you get one of these cool DM, Dig Me Out Union stickers. Yeah, put that thing on your laptop or your your guitar case. Yep, yep. Represent. And, and uh, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. 